Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. This month, we're excited to have as our guest, Dr. Kathy Schultz. Uh, Dr. Schultz is the Dean and Professor of Education at the University of Colorado, Colorado Boulder School of Education. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. And um, to our faithful listeners, welcome back, and we thank you for being a part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to new listeners, we're glad you've joined us. Um, today, I'm particularly excited because we have uh, Dr. Schultz joining us to talk about her work, um, specifically the work that she has focused on rethinking classroom participation uh, listening to silent voices. Um, one, what what struck me about this is the that um, uh, Dr. Schultz has has explored and and offers some advice around how to engage a range of learners. I know that um, a lot of times um, uh, teachers and administrators alike um, try to push children and even um, older. Um, in, in the developmental scale, um, to to be outgoing and 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 talkative and and extroverted, when there are actually some people in terms of their personalities are just not those uh, people. And so um, the work that Kathy has been doing uh, recently around thinking what classroom participation looks like is that what about those students who are not inclined to be extroverted and, in fact, be introverted. So, again, thank you for being on the show. Kathy, tell us a little bit first about um, what made you uh, start studying this particular area. I um, began by thinking about listening as a as a form of teaching, and so I had begun to conceptualize different ways that teachers might listen to teach. And in that way, we sort of flipping the usual um, idea that teachers talk and students listen. I was arguing that teachers need to listen to students to really understand them and in order to figure out how to teach each individual student and to teach the students as a group. And in exploring listening, I found that one kind of listening that teachers are not very good at is listening to silence. Um, we're very good at noticing which children talk and paying attention to that talk, but there's, I you know, the more I sort of studied classrooms and thought about these ideas, the more I realized that that there's a real need for teachers to understand how to actually listen to the silence in the classroom and the silent voices in the classroom. Mm, okay, and so it, it's really more about just listening. Um, what what did you find um, among those people you studied? What did you find about uh, the, the the first with the teachers? Um, was that a part of their practice, and how how easy is it or difficult is it for um, for one to adopt a strategy of of how of listening as as a part of their practice as a teacher? 
Well, I define um, listening pretty broadly. And so one of the first things I found is that there are a lot of reasons why students are silent in classes or quiet mm -hmm. in classrooms. And so we tend to think of students who don't talk in classrooms as introverts, which is where we started this conversation and sort of the popular term. But in fact, there can be many, many reasons for students to be silent. Students, sometimes it's powerful to be silent. Students are, don't talk for a while, and then when they do talk, what they say is particularly powerful. And we see this in groups of adults as well. There are other times when students are silent to protect themselves or to protect secrets of their home lives. Students might be silent in class because they're not uh, they don't have as much facility with the language as their classmates do, and it just takes them longer to speak. And so one of the first things that I looked at was the reasons why students might be silent. Another, you know, another example is that culturally, students might be taught not to speak or might not want to speak until they have something particularly important to say. So I wanted teachers to understand the real reasons why students are um, silent rather than just assuming that they're silent because they're shy or they're introverted. Um, mm -hmm. And my advice, and I can certainly keep talking about this, is not that teachers force kids to talk, which is what we do when we have participation grades, but that student that teachers take more of an inquiry stance and find out why students might be quiet or or mm -hmm. silent in class. And so, how do you how do you actually, uh, for lack of better words, train them, develop them to to take that position, uh, the inquiry stance? How, how do you how do you manage that? Um, so that's a great question. I think that you know that that starting from a question rather than an assumption is something that's actually much harder to do than we imagine and is useful for teachers but useful for people in daily life in general. I think that too often we start with assumptions rather than starting with a question. And so I um I think, you know, one of the ways to to do that is to use either videotapes of classroom footage or films to look for where they're is silence and where students are silence, and then practice asking questions and interrogating why they're silence rather than um, making the assumption that a student is just resisting or refusing to participate, or as we've said, introverted or quiet. Mm -hmm. And and have you have you conducted um, observations in classrooms? Is that part of what you're? Your work has been uh, looking at actual practice in classrooms? I have. So I'm an anthropologist of education, so I spent a lot of time in several different classrooms. And so this book really sort of draws on a couple of different studies. Um, for instance, I spent a year in an um, Oakland classroom a, a number of years ago, and I um, really looked at who the students were and how they were participating in class in order to try to understand how some of them were participating through silence and also the kind of moves or interactions the teachers might take to um, draw them into the classroom. The, 
the other thing that I think about, and, and this really comes from being in classrooms, is that often we label the person as silent, or, you know, in particular, there's this move to talk about introverts, rather than noticing how the classroom itself creates silence. So, you know, one of the things we know is that that it's easy to sort of locate sort of certain characteristics inside the person and say, well, she's a silent person or she's a introvert or she's a re she's resistant to school. But often um, students are act one way in one context and another in another. And the easiest way to think of that is kids who are quiet in school and then loud on the playground. I think we've all seen plenty of that. And so another thing for teachers to think about is how does their classroom create opportunities for students to talk and what happens when students are silent and how can teachers not only look at how to fix that individual, which is not something we want to do, but how can teachers look for opportunities to create times to talk but also to recognize silence in the classroom? Mm -hmm. I mean, what? So, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the things I'd like to say that is that if in a classroom, if every child talked all of the time, nobody could hear anybody. So we actually depend on certain people to be silent, and so that we can hear other voices. And it's just really a question to sort of look at the whole classroom itself, as well as individual sure. students. Sure. Sure. And so I, I have to admit, my brain is just going on overdrive as I listen to you talk about it, um, you know, I'll start with kind of the first question that came up for me um, when you when you said that there, you know, that if teachers start by listening, um, what are what are the strategies, though, that uh, one can employ to to gather the information that they're looking for. Let's say, so you do have some, and some some children are really good at talking and explaining um, and being engaged in a verbal way. And then you have those who would be so inclined not to, is that those, so when you start talking about things like participant grades, but how, what are the strategies that I guess you encourage or that you you've seen used that actually get um, to what the children who are not talking regularly know. So and and being able to assess what they know and what they're able to do, I guess, is more the question. Right, and that's a great question, um, and it's particularly hard where teachers have big classrooms, you know, filled with noisy kids, and it's hard to really notice individuals. And so, I, you know, I, I don't want to minimize the, the um, immense task that teachers have. Um, I think one of the pretty simple things to do is for teachers to give students many different kinds of opportunities to show what they know so that we're not only asking, sort of gauging how students are learning by, you know, by the students who raise their hand and answer verbally, but we give them many chances to write, maybe, you know, with the prevalence of cell phones and that, you know, kind of audio and video technology to sort of verbalize their responses, maybe privately rather than in a large group, to talk in pairs, to, to, you know, to do multimedia presentations about their ideas. 
I think that as teachers, one of the things we can do is just to try to think about all the different ways that students can display what they know um, that go beyond participating in class and filling in bubbles and standardized tests. Mm -hmm. And and what what is the benefit? So as I think about, uh, it sounded like some of the the things that you you mentioned uh, remind me of uh, you know kind of the multiple intelligences theory and um, and so I, I I thought about well there are other ways that children can be assessed uh, about what they know and what they are able to and, and display what they're able to do is that um, what what do you do you see that uh, there is a recognition of that? Is it? Is it, I guess what what I'm really asking is where where is this going? Is are there uh, is there any kind of movement towards you know, really appreciating that um, there are children with you know kind of different um, I, I dare say personalities, but but learning styles in this case and and dispositions. Um, um, are, are people recognizing that that you can get more out of them um, from 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 approaching them where they really are, um, and who and recognizing them for who they are in in the case of the silent voices? I think that's right, and I like to use the the last term that you used, which is dispositions, rather than learning styles, because I think probably people have many, many learning styles and not a single one, which I think we often fall into that trap. But I do think that if as teachers our goal is to ensure student learning, right? So what, one of the things that we've learned is that, you know, teachers' responsibility isn't just to teach the material and assume that students will learn it. Really, our responsibility as teachers is to create context for everybody to learn. Then we need to really understand how different students are learning and create many opportunities for that to happen and for them to learn more deeply. And I think, you know, that in our technological age where students come to school with a lot of knowledge and a lot of access to facts, that we as teachers need to think about ways to go beyond um, sort of surface learning and 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 just sort of giving information to really understand how to reach all children. And reaching them might not necessarily mean that they talk in class, which, you know, sort of goes back to the participation, but but that we need to have signs that they're learning and, and learn how to notice or listen um, to, to understand that. Mm -hmm. and, and so you mentioned technology. Um, is technology influencing quite a bit of this now, where you, you, there are a lot of children that spend an incredible amount of time alone, and I say alone, they may be in a room full of people, but alone with a device, um, a portable device, a computer screen in front of them, um, and where it doesn't require a certain, but so much uh, input from the user. Um, and certainly, uh, that a lot of that input is silent input. Um, do you see technology influencing the extent to which this is 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 happening now versus earlier? 
I think that's a really interesting question, and it's not one that I've thought about a lot, but I think it's one that's really worth exploring. Um, and, you know, I think it's the kind of question that teachers can ask students to learn about. So, you know, st students are of this a generation that's different from most teachers. And I think teachers really can talk to students about, well, you know, is it true that, you know, that you spend less time talking than you, you know, when you're on your computer than you might when you're outside playing games with your friends? And and how are you learning when you're doing that? And what does, how does that translate to the classroom? So I'm not saying that teachers need to know everything before they teach, and that certainly wouldn't even be possible, but that students are a great resource of information, and that one way to figure some of this out is to engage students either individually or as a group in conversation to simply understand why they're making their choices to be silent or to be talkative. And, you know, going back to the technology example, how that might relate to how they spend their time out of school. I mean, one of the things that I've always said is that as teachers, we often don't acknowledge how much students learn and are always learning outside of school. And we sometimes act that act as though what we're teaching them in school is disconnected from their home and community and neighborhood lives where they're learning all the time. And I think the more that we can connect those worlds together, the more that they will learn just overall, including and in school. Sure, sure. And I, you know, a lot of my work um, has been around researching um, culture and climate. And um, there are, it goes without saying that there are different um, environments that get created depending on who the people are in the room at any given time, meaning the other students, uh, meaning the, the response from the teacher, um, what happens when people raise their hands. Um, you know, there have been a lot of studies looking at the ratio of, of um, when, when students, certain students raise their hand, who gets um, called upon and so forth. Um, how much, at least from what you've seen in your research, um, does kind of the environment, the, the kind of the climate, the culture in these individual classrooms, how much would you say that influences, if at all, um, these, these, uh, the extent to which people are willing to speak up um, uh, and or, or remain silent? Oh, I think it's absolutely a critical factor. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that, you know, one of the things that teachers talk about now is how to create a safe space. And, um, my colleague Howard Stevenson always sort of corrected that and said a safer space because spaces might not be safe for certain students. So I do think that the kind of climate that a teacher creates and that a school creates is absolutely essential for thinking about the kind of participation in the classroom. And, you know, what I'm suggesting is we need to go further than trying to create a space where most children talk um, and look at what it means to be silent and how students are participating in that classroom, not only through talk, but also through silence. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I know it's really, uh, it's really one of those things where um, teachers sometimes are unaware 
of those the what space actually exists um, i've worked with some teachers where um, when they get the feedback from the student where you, you if students for example in some of my research have said i don't i don't feel comfortable asking my teacher questions and the teacher will be surprised and say but i you know i ask them if they want to ask, you know ask questions and no one says anything. Or right. like, um, I mean, you know, a really big one, and I, I want to hear your opinion about this, is um, that in some environments, uh, students have also made comments about uh, things like, I don't trust my teacher. And okay. so to what extent is trust a factor in playing a role in that as well? Um, but but the, the, the real uh, thing that gets me at times about it is, and, and which is also a surprise to me, is that um, sometimes uh, some, of, some of the people are themselves surprised that students don't want to, they don't want to engage because of what they feel the environment is. And so those, I, that definitely resonates with me, uh, your colleague mentioning safer spaces is what's needed. And I couldn't agree with you more that trust is an essential issue. Um, actually, what I'm writing about now is distrust, um, not only in classrooms but across systems. But I do think that um, trust is often a reason why students don't speak. And simply saying, okay, we need everybody to trust each other is not going to change the climate. I think that teachers, again, need to take this inquiry stance and look at why there's distrust in the classroom and understand how to sort of look more deeply into it, but also potentially give students other ways to ask questions besides verbally if they don't feel safe. That The student might not feel safe because of the teacher, but it also could be because of the other students in the class. I mean, one of the things that I found was that, you know, some students wanted to be silent because they didn't want to seem too smart. Or some students, did, you know, they wanted to be, didn't stay silent because they wanted to be more popular. Or they wanted to, um, or they were protecting themselves in one way or another. So I think climate absolutely has a lot to do with um, silence and talk and and that is something that teachers can work on if they um if they notice it and 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 sort of acquire the tools to do so well um i really appreciate it dr schultz i i wanted to in our closing minutes i wanted to also just kind of get your your opinion we have a lot of individuals who are um uh leaders of schools, um, school districts, uh, but even for parents um, and school board members that might come in as visitors into schools. I know for a number of years, I, I, I think it showed me where you were, you used to be a school board member as well? That's right. Yes, I'm a, I, I always like to say I'm, I'm, I too am a, a recovering school board member. Uh, <laughs> I served for a number of years um, school board in in Connecticut, and um, but I, I used to go on tours with my colleagues um, in one of the national organizations. I used to go on tours to schools, and I remember people just saying, "Oh, this is a this is a good sign." You know, the kids are so quiet and well-behaved. 
And I would always, you know, say to my colleagues, no, no, you know, learning is noisy at times. But what do you, I mean, you know, I, I guess the two things I want you to address. One is the notion that, I mean, I hear you, you loud and clear about uh, looking for other ways to, uh, to give them a chance to participate, but where do where do teachers learn that? Because they they certainly aren't, and I can say this as a former professor of of, of teacher in teacher education as well. Is that um, for the most part they're not learning that in schools of education. We're not doing that in, in giving them kind of the tools and strategies to know how to do that. Um, but the other part is. Um, it does if if they if they are if they if there are classrooms that are silent so to speak um, does that in of itself uh, indicate that people are doing what you suggested listening just because there's no talk doesn't mean that people are listening for for uh, contribution. Um, so I think there's a couple questions there. One is how how do you help what does a silent class mean, and how do you help teachers yeah. understand that, or outsiders or visitors or parents understand that? And um, I guess the first thing I would say is to not assume you understand what's going on, to sort of question your assumptions and to, to sort of raise questions. And so if a classroom is silent, I would want the teacher or the outsiders not to assume that it's either good or bad, but to try to understand um, what's really going on. And that's true for a whole classroom and that's true for an individual. If a child is basically silent, I would encourage the teacher not to assume that she understands what's going on, but to ask the student about the silence and, and, and potentially to shift, you know, what are called participation structures to create more opportunities for the child to speak or, as I was saying before, to display um, his or her knowledge. So I think, you know, the basic rule is that we need to to start by with, you know, an in, by um, with an inquiring mind, right? To start by trying to understand what's going on and not assuming that our, you know, what we know from our own schools or our own experiences will explain what we're seeing. Um, but really to try to to um, to understand that. Now, in terms of where teachers learn that, I mean, as you say, hopefully they learn it in teacher education or in subsequent professional development. Um, but I think, you know, I think most teachers want to be continual learners and to keep learning and refining their practice and becoming better teachers. And I do think it's up to schools and districts to keep providing opportunities for teachers to keep learning um, and to not assume that it all happens in teacher education, um, which is the start, but not the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I, that was a very, uh, that that is very good advice about for, for leaders, both from school boards and and in schools and districts, um, to understand that that is a that is definitely an investment to make. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So I, I would like to thank you uh, for joining us this month, um, ladies and gentlemen. We had um, Dr. Cassie Schultz, who is the dean and professor of education at the University of Colorado Boulder School of Education. Uh, what a wonderful um, opportunity to talk about um, listening to silent voices. 
um, ask you to join us next month um, on April the 18th at 2 p.m. Our guest will be Dr. Ted Thornhill, who is an assistant professor of sociology at Florida Gulf Coast University. Um, we thank you again, and to my listeners, until next time, go well, stay well.